Let's pray before Almighty Yahweh. Father Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We pray that you would be with those here, be with those watching and listening, and your people really throughout the world. And we thank you so much for the wonderful things you've bestowed upon us, that you've given us. And we pray for your blessings upon this ministry, that you would always be here and give us wisdom to rightly apply your word. We also pray for Elder Allen and Brother Dennis as they continue to recover, and also those on the prayer list, and those seeking your healing, Yahweh Rapha, that you would heal them of their sicknesses, of their diseases. We know there's nothing beyond your ability. There's nothing beyond your doing, and we look to you in faith, knowing that you can do all these things, and pray that your healing hand, that you would show us Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh our healer, that you would reveal your truth, your faith, your, your passion in us. And Father, we thank you for all things, and we give you all praise. In the name of your Son, Yahshua the Messiah, hallelujah, amen. You all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to have everybody here. It's also a blessing to uh, know that we have others watching online, so I'd like to uh, certainly extend a welcome to those online. Or today I want to continue with my message on habits of a healthy marriage. This will be part two, but really almost a continuation of many of the thoughts we uh, spoke about last week. You know, evidence for this, the evidence that really marriage in this nation and around the world is crumbling, is becoming less and less important. And we see, again, evidence of this in the number of divorces, now in the acceptance of homosexual marriage and all kinds of immorality today. It is very, very sad. We know that marriage was established by Yahweh as a holy union between one man and one woman for life. This is how and what he established. In this day of disregard, though, of all that is holy and all that is right, the sanctity of marriage is quickly eroding. And we can see evidence of that in many, many facets of our culture today. As believers, we have an obligation to protect that which Yahweh defines as holy. That includes marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the establishment of marriage, how Yahweh defines marriage within his word. For this reason, it's important that we set an example of a healthy marriage, a healthy marriage within our own relationships that others can look to. You know, we should be an example to one another and also to those in this world. This world is crumbling morally, and they need an example, and we should provide an example. Before we delve into the word, I want to go back and review what we discussed in part one of this series. So here are some of the points we reviewed. The Bible confirms that the husband is the head or the authority within the marriage covenant. We know that. The husband should never use, though his Yahweh-given authority in an abusive way toward his wife or toward his family, number two. Number three... Even though there is one head within a marriage, the husband and wife should work always work together for a solution that is best for the family. And that's something I be, feel very strongly with, that as a husband and wife, we should work together to form a solution that is for the betterment and for the better solution of the family. Also, marriage should be viewed as a partnership. Number four, we're not to be rash in what we say. We should always first listen and consider a response. Number five, we should always speak the truth. A very short point, but a very important point. 
Number six, we should be cognizant of how we say things. This includes when the words we use and how we speak those words. We're going to speak just a few, a little bit more about that today. We're to remember to love one another. This includes showing patience, humility, and a forgiving spirit. Now, truth be told, we're going to basically cover many of these same points today. I'm going to emphasize many of them throughout this message. Now, I begin want to begin today by talking about something that I mentioned last week, and that is the difference between verbal and nonverbal communication. Truthfully, I was not ready to fully discuss that today. I am. You know, much of what we hear and perceive when we communicate is not based on what we hear verbally. I believe that that is an understanding we have come to know today. It's also based on our tone and body language, how we present that message a professor by the name of Albert Marabian, which was renowned for his theories on human communication, stated that communication was 7% verbal, 38% vocal, and how we reflect our voice and vocalize, and 55% visual and how we present in our body language. So it's not only the words we use, it's also how we use those words to express ourselves. It's not only what we say verbally, it's how we say those things verbally. And it's the body language we express while, we're, while speaking. So again, there's much that goes into communication. Many people communicate not realizing what they're communicating We can verbally say something and communicate a very different message depending on the tone of our voice and the body language we're using. Communication is so important. I believe that this is one of the most important aspects in marriage, communication. In fact, communication is so important that it's often the reason why a marriage will either thrive or not succeed at all. This is how important communication is within a marriage. If we are not communicating in a right way, in a Yahweh-approved way, in all ways, what we say, again, how we say it, and our body language as we're saying those words, we may not have a very healthy relationship. So communication is important. Communication is vital how we communicate as a believer and as a spouse. I want to move on now and talk about husbands and really speak to husbands and also maybe future husbands. So for those young men in the room, unmarried, listen up. Ephesians 5, verse 25, I want to begin there. It says, husbands, love your wives. So Paul, again, he's speaking to husbands here. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Messiah also loved the assembly and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves his himself, no man ever hate, yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as a master of the assembly. As husbands, how are we to love our wives? We're simple. We're to emulate Yahshua the Messiah. How is this done? How do we emulate Yahshua? 
How do we emulate our Savior? Yahshua sacrificed and gave all for the assembly. Husbands must be willing to do the same. This is how, as husbands, we emulate our Savior in in the relationships with our spouses. How did Yahshua sacrifice for the assembly? Or number one, and most importantly, we know that he gave his life as a ransom for our sins. So that's one example of how he sacrificed for the assembly. Beyond this, what else did he do? How else did Yahshua sacrifice for the assembly? He gave up the opportunity of a normal life. We know that. He was never married. Instead, he chose a life of solitude. Again, he gave much up for you and I. From all evidence, he lived a life of simplicity. Some might even say he lived a life of poverty. In Matthew 8, Joshua said there that he had no place to even lay his head. From what we find, he certainly lived a life of simplicity and poverty. Paul in Philippians 2 also said that Joshua, quote, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. It's another way he served the assembly. He humbled himself. Now, I believe Paul here was referring to Joshua's preexistence. He gave up that preexistence. He humbled himself as a man. He came to us in human form. In John 17, verse 5, in prayer, Yahshua said this. He said, glorify you, me, with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we see here that Yahshua acknowledges that he was with the Father in the beginning. Before the world existed, he was in existence. He was in harmony. He was with glory, with the Father before the world was. Now try to imagine being with Yahweh in a glorified state and then giving that all up so that you could humble yourself and die for a people who in large part would reject you. And by the way, you would die an agonizing death. These are the ways Yahshua sacrificed for us. When Paul speaks and says that husbands are to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly, this is the love, this is the agape that he was referring to. The sacrifice, the willing to give everything up, the willing to live in simplicity, the willing to go without for the good of others. Everything he did was for the motivation and for the betterment of the assembly. It wasn't for himself. It wasn't how he can accomplish great things or for his own stature or status. No, it was for the betterment of the assembly. It was him agreeing to forsake his glorified state. It was him willing to live a life of solitude and poverty, really. And it was also him willing to die for the sins of mankind. Yahshua's entire life is an example of what it means to sacrifice. One of my favorite passages is where Yahshua said, you know, I come not to be served, but to serve. His focus was to serve, was to sacrifice for others. As husbands, do we do those things that benefit our wives? Do we do those things that benefit our families? Are we providing financially? Are we providing emotionally? Most importantly, are we providing spiritually? I want to talk about each one of these for just a moment. Over the years, I've seen poor examples from husbands in all three categories. I've seen men in the faith who were lazy, unwilling to work, and unwilling to support their families. The Bible says this. The Bible says that if a man is unwilling to support his family financially, 
that that man is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. That's what the Bible says. We also know that husbands are to be emotionally supportive. Just as we're to be physically courageous for our families, we're also to be emotionally courageous for our families. Even though Jennifer is a strong spouse, there's been times in our marriage where I've had to be the one to show emotional strength. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So what I'm saying is this. In addition to being physically strong, we must also be emotionally supportive. As a husband, we must be emotionally supportive. Now, I know for many men, being emotionally supportive is not easy. This does not come easy for many men, the emotional aspect. But I believe that Joshua was emotionally strong for the assembly. And I believe that we too, us men, husbands, should be emotionally strong for our spouses. Let me give an example. If our wife is going through some emotional trauma with a friend or a family member, and that's pretty common, as a husband, we're to be there to emotionally support our spouse in that situation. We're to be there. The reality is, in cases like this, many men are more of a detriment than a support. They don't try to support their spouse emotionally. But I believe as a husband, a true husband, will support his wife in all ways, including emotionally. Now, the last thing here I want to speak about is being spiritually strong for our spouses and families. What does this mean? Well, let me first tell you what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're controlling or domineering. Being spiritually strong is not being domineering. Being spiritually strong is living the morals and principles ourselves that we find in Scripture and being that spiritual compass in the storm of life. That is what it means to be spiritually strong. There are situations in life where it's easy to compromise. As husbands, we must show the way. We must have the spiritual courage, stamina to do the right thing, even when that right thing is hard to do. And sometimes that happens where it's hard to do. We must make hard decisions, but we must be that spiritual compass, and we must point the way to what is right and true according to Yahweh's word. I want to move on now and talk about bitterness. Paul speaks about this in Colossians 3, verse 19. He says, There are husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. What does it mean to be bitter? The Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as to embitter, to exasperate, to render angry, indignant, or to be irritated. That's the meaning of bitter. What Paul is saying here is that we're not to deliberately, as a husband, anger our wife. And of course, this is also true for the wife as well. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary has this note. Quote, many polite abroad are rooted home because they are not afraid there. I spoke about this in my last week's message. This quote here describes many people, many, many people. I would say that it describes the vast majority of people. There are many men that are one way outside the home and another way in the home. And that's not a positive trend, by the way. I believe the reason for this in large part is fear. People fear how those outside will perceive them. Maybe they fear of losing a job promotion. Maybe they fear losing a key relationship. 
The sad reality is because many don't fear their spouse, they feel that they can treat them in a negative way. Well, listen, as a husband or wife, we're not to take advantage of the relationship we share with our spouse. We are never to abuse the relationship we have with our spouse. We should never treat them worse than we would a stranger. Sadly, though, that's not always the case. Sadly, that's most often the case. Even though I know many struggle with this, we should strive to treat our spouse better than those in the world. We really need to acknowledge, I believe, this point. One way in which we do this is by not using them as, as, an, emo- as an emotional punching bag. I've seen so many cases over the years where husbands treat their wives as an emotional punching bag. Well, that's not something we should be doing as husbands. As husbands, we should not be mistreating our spouse. We should not be taking aggravation out on our spouse. We should not be treating our spouse differently or worse than those in the world. As Paul says here, we should show love to our spouse and not bitterness. Now, this includes showing consideration and respect. We find Peter, he speaks about this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Peter says there, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto thy wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we find here that if we do not do this, what happens? It says here that maybe your prayers may be hindered. So this is not something we want to do. I want to begin by considering some of the words Peter uses here, words. Number one, he uses the word knowledge, knowledge. This word is from the Greek gnosis and refers to the act of knowing. By the way, the word gnosis is where the name Gnostic comes from. Gnostic, this was a heretical sect during and after the New Testament assembly. Here the word gnosis refers to the knowledge of Yahweh's word, though. The knowledge, the gnosis of Yahweh's word. We're to use the gnosis of Yahweh's word in our marriage. So in our marriage, we should use the knowledge of Yahweh's word to guide our marriage, to direct our marriage. Another word I want to focus on for just a moment is honor. Honor. This word is from the Greek, time. Here's how it's defined by Thayer's. Thayer says, honor which belongs or is shown to one, including deference, meaning respect, and reverence. Keep in mind, keep in mind here that we find that this is being spoken to to the husbands. Peter speaking to husbands. Peter is saying here that husbands are to show respect or to show reverence to their wives. Now, we also know that the same is also true for the wife. Many of these ideas are reciprocal. They go both ways. But certainly we find here Peter saying that we, we are to respect or reverence to our wives. Now, what does it mean to respect? What does it mean? Well, here's how the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines respect. Number one, a feeling of admiring someone or someone or something that is good, valuable, or important. Number two, a feeling of under, or understanding that someone or something is important, serious, and should be treated in an appropriate way. Number three, a particular way of thinking about it or looking at something thing. So the question is, how do we view our spouse? How do we view our wife? How do we view our husbands? 
Do we admire their qualities and character? Do we see them as a person of integrity? Do we see them as supportive to us and our families? Do we see them as a person willing to sacrifice for the good of others? Do we see them exhibiting those attributes of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah? Or do we see them showing a lack of character or integrity? Do we see them as selfish and insupportive? Do we see them as a person unwilling to sacrifice for the good of others? Do we see them as someone falling miserably short from the example of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah? I hope we see our spouses in a positive way. I think most people here see their spouse in a positive way. But what about those who view their spouses negatively? What about those? Even in these cases, as believers, we should still try to show our spouses a level of honor and respect. Hopefully, by setting this example, they will see our good works and be willing to change. That's what we find, by the way, from Peter. He says that, that, that wives ought to, to, to show their good works and that by their good works, that that will bring, bring blessings to their marriage. As I said last week, though, we should never allow or tolerate abuse within a marriage. So I want to make that clear. We also see Peter here saying that as husbands, we're to honor our wives as under the weaker vessel. Just to note, weaker here does not mean inferior. It means that Yahweh created men with certain strengths and women with certain strengths. One of the strengths here that he created men with was emotional strength. In the end, though, marriage is about working together. Marriage is about working together, pulling the, the strengths of one another. You know, this, the, the uh, management, there was a thinking in management years ago, and the thinking was if you had a weakness, you were to try to fill that weakness. Or now they've changed course on that. They no longer look at management theory in that way. They say, Instead of trying to build that weakness, you find somebody to fill that weakness. So it's based on management theory. Yahweh works the same way. He created men with strengths and he created men with weaknesses. And same thing for the women, for the wives. Together you are a whole. You see, you utilize those weaknesses and those strengths and, and you become more complete together. As we've seen, one habit of a healthy marriage is showing, again, mutual love and respect, as we find here. Now, another habit of a great marriage is forgiveness. Forgiveness and also spirit of peace, which brings peace. I don't care who it is. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. If you find somebody trying to convince you that they have a perfect marriage, they're not being truthful. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. Every marriage has struggles including mine. Every marriage has struggles. Now, I believe I have a great marriage, but it's not a perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. Every marriage has a level of strife and conflict. Now, obviously, some relationships have more than others, but saying that we should all have the same goal, and that is how do we bring peace to our marriage? How do we bring shalom to our marriage? And one way we do that is through forgiveness. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 
4, verse 26. Very short. He says, be you angry or be not angry is really what it's saying. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Real simple passage by the Apostle Paul. Very simple. Very short. Now, even though it's simple, even though it's short, those of us married knows it's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to forgive, to, to let go, not to be angry. This is not an easy thing to do. As we talked in my previous message, if we're going to forgive, we must first let go of our own animosity and our own anger. That's where it begins. That's where it begins, letting go of our own anger. We can't forgive if we never let go. And that's why Paul says, keep no record of wrongs. If we're going back and we're focusing on the mistakes of our, uh, of our spouse, past mistakes, we are in violation of Scripture. We should not focus on past mistakes. If we forgive, we must let go. That is what we find within the word. As believers in the faith, it's so important that we understand this concept. That if we say that we forgive our spouse, then we forgive our spouse and we let go of that wrong. And we don't bring that wrong up. Even though my focus today is marriage, realize that this principle applies to any and all relationships. This is not unique to marriage. It's just vitally important to marriage. But not unique to marriage. This is true of any and all relationships. As believers and spouses, we should never allow bitterness to take root. We should never hold on to anger. This is why Paul here conveys the message, don't go to bed angry. Work it out. Find a solution. If we have a grievance with our spouse, we're to resolve it before we go to bed. That's the lesson we find here. And not to go to bed angry. Now I'm going to freely admit, there's been a few times I've slept on the couch. Just a few. In these examples, I can tell you the situation was not for the better because I slept on the couch. Again, there is a level of conflict in every marriage, including mine. It's been a while, though. It's been a long while, but, but there's been times. Now, I know some people who are, like, anti-conflict. They will do everything they can to avoid contention. In fact, I know some managers at work like that. In most cases, though, conflict does not resolve itself. I, I, I'm a manager at work, so uh, I, I see a lot of this. And I tell people this all the time. Conflict does not resolve itself. You must be able to address the conflict. Most often when we ignore it, we can anticipate one outcome. And that is that we will exasperate the conflict. We must deal with the conflict. Deal with that struggle. As believers and spouses, it's important that we develop strategies on ways of doing this. And believe me, some people fear conflict or dealing with conflict more than death. They'd rather die than deal with that conflict. But as believers, we must find ways to deal with conflict within our marriage. If we don't, in productive ways, by the way, there's always ways to provide, or always ways to deal with conflict. Some ways are very, very bad, and some ways are better. So we got to find effective ways to deal with conflict. Every marriage is different, but we find ways to deal with 
those conflicts within our relationships. I believe that conflict resolution is one of the hardest things to do in this life. Again, some people rather die than to deal with conflict. But because this is so important, we must do our best. You know, one of the reasons why it's so hard to deal with conflict is pride. I believe this is a reason why it's so hard to deal with conflict. Now, what's the opposite of pride? We talked about that, this in my last message. The answer is humility or meekness. Have you noticed how often the Bible speaks about a person who is meek or humbled? It's amazing the instances we find within Scripture, the number of examples we find within the Bible of Yahweh speaking about those who are humbled, and by the way, in a very positive way. When we think about strong leaders, we often think about characteristics like confidence, boldness, assertiveness, decisiveness. Those are all strengths or attributes of a great leader. And while that's true, we also know that meekness is an attribute of a strong leader. It's an attribute that many people gloss over, miss. The Bible says that Moses was meek more than any other man. I think it would be hard to say that Moses was not a great leader in many, many ways. As a believer and a spouse, humility should not be viewed as a weakness. It should never be viewed as a weakness. Humility should always be viewed as a strength. But too many people, they view it as a weakness. If they humble themselves, they say that's a sign of weakness. No, if we humble ourselves, if we show meekness, we are showing strength. Because I assure you, it takes more strength to show humbledness or a humbled mind than it does pride and arrogance. It's real easy to show pride. It's very easy to show arrogance. But to take a step back and to admit that we've done wrong and to show humbleness within those actions is hard. And it's a sign of true courage. True courage shows humility. Now, when speaking about forgiveness... It's important to be cognizant of our speech. We've already talked a lot about this, but I'm a big believer in communication. So let's focus on communication a bit more. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, it says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. You see, when we say things that we should not, it grieves, it says the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit is opposed, Yahweh's power is opposed to saying things negatively. It grieves the Spirit of Yahweh, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, and be you kind to one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Yahweh, for Messiah's sake, hath forgiven you. For a moment, consider the peace we would all have if we simply lived by the words we find here. Consider that for just a moment. If you think about it, the characteristics that Paul provides in this passage are life-changing. If we lived by the values we find here, they would be life-changing. They would change who we are. They would change our relationships. 
They would change everything around us if we simply lived by what we find here. So let's talk about some of the values. What did Paul mean when he said here, corrupt communication? The word corrupt is from the Greek sapros. Strong's defines this as a rotten or worthless. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines sapros as a poor quality, bad, unfit for use, or worthless. Let me ask you, are we guilty of using sapros with our spouse? That is speech that is worthless, bad, or unfit to use. Have you ever used a word unfit? Have you ever used a word that grieved Yahweh's spirit toward your spouse? As a believer, one of the worst habits we can develop is to curse or to use bad language. Or to be constantly negative, negative in our speech, especially toward our spouse. Now Paul goes on here to say that our speech should be edifying. Edifying. This word is from the Greek akoidime. Well, it literally refers to a, a structure or building. According to Thayer's, metaphorically, it refers to, quote, the act of one who promotes another's growth in wisdom, piety, happiness, or holiness. Now, just think about the definition we find here and ask. Does my speech promote growth, the growth of wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness? If the answer is no, then I believe we're falling short. Our speech should never tear down. Our words should build up. This, again, is the meaning of edifying within the Greek. Let me ask you, and I really want you to consider this. I want you to think about this. How often do we criticize versus compliment our spouse? I'm going to pause for just a moment. I'm asking, how often do we criticize versus compliment our spouse? And I know sometimes criticism or constructive feedback is needed in a marriage. That's where that conflict resolution may come in. But as believers, we should always seek to compliment more than criticize. By the way, this is also true of all other relationships. Have you ever known a person who was always negative? How, how, do you want to be around that person? Most of the time, we avoid that person like the plague. Because we don't want to hear negativeness. We don't want to be brought down all the time. So this goes way beyond marriage. This really is for all relationships. We should be positive, not negative. We should not tear down. We should build up. That's what we find here. That's what we find within Yahweh's word. And that's something we should really consider as believers. You know, sometimes it's these small compliments that mean the most. It's these small compliments that mean the most. Something that happens in many relationships is that over time we take our spouses for granted. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing this. We've been married for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever years, and we don't realize the value and the blessings that our spouses are. They don't, we don't realize, and we don't, more importantly, communicate the blessings they are. We need to be communicating. We need to be complimenting. We need to be edifying in a positive way that builds up our marriage, that builds up our relationships, not tear down as so many do. And again, this goes way beyond marriage. If you can do this, if as a person we are positive, if we 
do not criticize unless needed. We will succeed in so many areas of life because people like people who are positive. People like people who use compliments. People like people who are, again, positive. And it's important that we're that way. Paul goes on here to say that we're to let go of all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. The word bitterness is from the Greek pakria and refers to poison or hatred. Bitterness, poison or hatred within the Greek. Nothing good comes from bitterness. It poisons our relationships. When we are bitter toward one another, we are poisoning our relationships. That's true of marriage, and that's true of any relationship. When we allow bitterness to take root, we are poisoning our relationship. And that's true even with members of, this, of, of, of an assembly. When we allow bitterness for another person to take root, we are poisoning that relationship. So we should never do this. We should never allow bitterness to remain. We should never allow bitterness to remain within our life, within those relationships. As believers and as spouses, we're to avoid these things. As Paul says here again, we're to be kind. We're to be tenderhearted. We're to forgive as Yahweh forgave us. If we want a marriage that is a blessing, if we want a marriage that promotes peace, promotes health, then these are the attributes we must live by. So let's summarize what we've learned from this passage here. We've learned a lot of valuable lessons, I believe, from this passage. So we're to avoid corrupt speech, meaning speech that is worthless, bad, or unfit to use. We're to use words that are edified, meaning words that promote wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. We should compliment, not criticize our spouse. We're to avoid words that bring only bitterness, anger, and strife. And lastly, we're to show kindness and forgiveness to our spouse. This is how we should be behaving. This is how we should be interacting. This is how we should be speaking and and communicating within our relationships. We should be communicating in a way, again, that brings edification, that brings a positive blessing to the union, to the marriage, not criticize, and, and again, not be bitter, not allow bitterness to take root, because bitterness is poison, and poison will kill that relationship. I want to close with Proverbs 19.11. I want to read this from both the RSB and also the NIV. This is the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. NIV is a bit clearer. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. We see here that when we show patience, we show right direction, right discretion, right wisdom. Considering this, what do you believe we show when we show or convey anger or animosity toward our spouse? Or the answer should be pretty obvious, and that is we show ourselves to be a fool. When we show anger toward our spouse, when we show bitterness toward our spouse, we show ourselves to be a fool. We see that when there's wisdom, there's wisdom in being patient, there's wisdom in showing compassion. Then we also see here that there's glory, it says, in overlooking a transgression or offense. 
That's kind of an important concept. There's glory in overlooking a transgression. Earlier, I said that forgiveness was an ingredient or part of what it meant to have peace within a marriage. We had to forgive. If we're going to have peace within a marriage, we have to first forgive. The sad reality is many people, including believers, they struggle with this concept of forgiveness. They continue to hold on to animosity and anger and strife within their own self. Paul in Romans 5 verse 8 says, But Elohim commands his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Now, think about the depth of that statement. Yahweh sacrificed his son for people who were sinners, who were undeserving. And again, he sacrificed his son in a horrific way. If our Father in heaven can freely forgive our sins through his sacrifice or through the sacrifice of his only begotten son, we can forgive our spouse. We can forgive our friends. We can forgive those around us because Yahweh showed us the example. And that example was giving the life of his only son for a people who were utterly unworthy of that sacrifice. But he did it because he loves us and he wanted to see us succeed. And we should have the same, same goal, desire for our spouse. Remember that forgiveness is not only an attribute that we must exhibit as believers, it's also an attribute that is essential to a healthy marriage. We must forgive if we're going to have a healthy marriage. If we hold on to bitterness, if we hold on to anger, if we hold on to strife, no matter what efforts are made, we will not have a blessed and healthy marriage. We have to forgive. So I want to review some of the points we spoke about today. Husbands are commanded to love their wives as Yahshua loved the assembly. This is a big one. And the, the conditions of this and where this leads is significant. Number two, husbands are to be supportive financially, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. Number three, spouses were not to show bitterness Instead, we're to be considerate and show respect and reverence toward one another. Number four, we're not to allow anger or strive to continue in a relationship. Again, don't go to bed angry. Work it out. Number five, we should make sure that our speech is edifying and positive. That we're not tearing people down when we say things. That we're not focused always on the negative. That we're also focused on the positive. And we, again, seek to compliment more than we criticize and number six, we should always show compassion and forgiveness. Yeah, I pray that these messages on marriage have been a blessing to you and to your families, that we better understand marriage. And maybe even if we don't better understand, it's reminded us of what we should be doing. And that is, again, showing love, showing compassion, being supportive, being positive. Besides our relationship with Yahweh, there's nothing in this life more important than our relationship with our spouse. That is the most important relationship we have in the existence on this earth. And we should understand the gravity of that relationship. We should do everything we can to make sure that it's a healthy and blessed and thriving relationship. If we follow Yahweh's word, I believe that we can achieve that. If we follow his truth, he's given us the blueprint. He said, here's how to have a healthy marriage. All we have to do is follow it. 
One thing I've discovered in marriage counseling is it's really not hard to identify the problem. The problem is implementing and following through and applying those principles. It's easy to say we should not be showing anger. Sometimes it's very hard not to show that anger. But if we follow Yahweh's word as a blueprint of our relationships, we will have great relationships. I'm convinced of that. I know that. But we have to follow our Father in heaven. We have to humble ourselves, and we have to show consideration and do everything we've talked about throughout these two messages. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you. I pray that we would have blessed marriage, marriages, thriving marriages, happy marriages. And uh, with that, may Yahweh bless you.